Hey, Gabe. Hey, what's up, Tim? We're here to talk about the nuclear plot of the classic TV show Gilligan's Island. And it got me thinking, what would be your preferred means of social distancing? Working from home with three-hour-long calls on Zoom or a three-hour boat tour? Now, the only catch is, option two, you may end up stranded on a desert island for 15 years. But then again, no work conference calls. Tim, I think, once again, you're being super critical. Welcome to another episode of the Super Critical Podcast, where we delve into the fun and oftentimes nonsensical way pop culture portrays nuclear weapons. My name is Tim Westmire, someone who studies nuclear weapons and works on nuclear nonproliferation for a living. And I'm joined today in the podcast studio slash our respective basements over Zoom with my co-host Gabe. Gabe, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Tim. How's it going? How are you holding up there in uh, self-isolation quarantine? Doing pretty good. I'm glad to have my uh, podcast back uh, after you stole it away for an episode uh, for our April <laughs> Fool's Day episode. Yeah, that was a that was a weird one, wasn't it? That was strange. It was very strange, but it worked out really well. How about you? How are you guys hand- handling everything? Yeah, good. I'm I'm stress baking bread. I'm uh, I'm playing guitar. I'm uh, going for walks. So yeah, and and now now I'm here in my basement. We're gonna talk about talk some Gillian's Island. Well, this is great. I'm glad you have such a well-rounded set of skills because you're the perfect person that we would have on a desert island because you can cover a lot of the different bases. you got to have someone that can both bake bread and play music. You know, I'll be the guy that talks about nuke movies around the fireplace, you know. That, that is a very well. essential. Yeah, you got to keep the terror levels high. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so you can't get any more quarantine than being marooned on a tropical island which is exactly what happened to the crew and passengers of the SS Minnow on the classic TV show that ran from 1964 to 1967. I hope uh, some of the people that listen to our podcast, which I think sometimes can trend a little bit on the younger side, are aware of Gilligan's Island. I don't think it's something, obviously from the 60s, but that only you and I may know from watching when we were young on Nick at Night. Yeah, that's where, I, that's where I was familiar. And my mom would talk about it. She was a fan of... Uh, of that show and but yeah nick at night i definitely saw some episodes come up i don't know if the younger those gen z people know about this we thought we have to take a poll well i hope that this is going to introduce them to it so this is a show about a group of castaways that get caught up in a storm uh, after setting sail from i think it's hawaii for what they said was going to be a three-hour tour uh you know because the theme song basically just describes the premise of the show um, and they ended up with their boat being crashed on an island, a kind of deserted island somewhere in the South Pacific. And each episode usually involves their attempts to either get rescued or dealing with some kind of island hijinks. Uh, sometimes it's random, interesting people will show up, like someone from World War II, a Japanese soldier who didn't know the war, the war ended, so he takes the everybody hostage. Or the Russian cosmonauts would, would crash land on the island, and you have that little bit of fun interaction. And at one point, even the Harlem Globetrotters, the basketball team, showed up and you got to kind of see what would happen when you interacted with those people for some reason on an island. Uh, but either way, the, the characters never found their way to getting rescued. It's mostly a comedy, you know, lots of physical comedy uh, and, and some now dated gender dynamics and pretty much kind of overall silliness. 
Uh, did you watch this show much growing up other than uh, Nick at Night? Or, like, did you enjoy it, I guess, what I meant to say? I remember liking it, um, but, I, you know, I was a lot younger, uh, maybe less less of a connoisseur, less sense of taste, perhaps. Um, I was surprised that the level of slapstick, I mean, it, it, was pretty, uh, it was pretty wacky, at least this episode. We'll get into it. But uh, I, I didn't remember that part of it, so I, cu- I couldn't have watched that much, I think. Hmm. Well, people may be wondering, what does this have to do with uh, nuke stuff at all and it's a great question uh it's more than these two facts that i'll tell you right now which is for some reason i looked this up the ship they crash land is the ss minnow the green okay. minnow is the name of a i think it was a radiological um spectrometer uh that the uk had a it was their classified name for it they would always have like a color and some kind of fish for one of the, super, the super cri- this is super critical tim yeah the super green, critical grasping at straws the green minnow yeah exactly and then um 1964 is when this show started uh that was a real big year for nuke movies if you can imagine the same year that gilligan's island started so did the movies dr strangelove got released as well as the movie failsafe we've covered failsafe on the podcast at some point we're going to cover dr strangelove i'm just working my way uh into a fun way of doing that i'll buy that you know it was that that was the time 1960s and maybe Maybe Gilligan's Island was just the slapstick comedy people needed to balance out the overwhelming fear of existential dread from uh, the Cold War. Exactly. And uh, the episode that we're going to talk about today, it's called Pass the Vegetables, Please. It's from season three, episode three. So the last season of the show, it aired originally September 26, 1966. You've got the usual cast of characters. Uh, You've got the Skipper, who is the steadfast leader of the group. You've got Gilligan, the first mate. It's his island, apparently. He's often very clumsy and is most of the cause of the hijinks on the island. You've got the Professor, who famously can make a radio out of a coconut but not fix a hole in a boat. Uh, he's kind of our, our our kind of scientist on board here. Uh, you've got the millionaire Thurston Howell the third, and his wife Lovely, who always try to make uh, keep up their lavish lifestyle on the island. You've got Ginger, who's like a sexy movie star, always wearing a fancy cocktail dress that she seems to find. And then you got Marianne, who's a farm girl, kind of a, an average an average everyday person. Who never seems to really have anything to do on the show. She gets a part in this. I thought it's just funny all the different characters and the uh, Thurston Howell the third. I love his uh, underbite. Mm-hmm. The, the rich person like, no, this is, <laughs> we're on the island now. I see. They're the people that keep up pretty good spirits in the course of the their being stranded. You know, they're all friends still, even though they're they started out as strangers. Uh, and even as much as Gilligan causes trouble, people still seem to, to like him. They find ways to keep themselves entertained uh, over the course of the 15 years or so they were stuck on the island. The episode that we're going to talk about today involves a story where Gilligan discovers a box of vegetable seeds floating in the ocean. And he and the rest of the crew excitedly start to plant the seeds without realizing that these seeds have gone nuclear. Uh, This is often rated as one of the top five or so episodes by fans of the show itself. And it's an episode of television that for reasons I'll explain later, for some reason, my nuke brain almost about once a week, maybe once a month since I saw this as like a maybe when I was like six years old has thought about this episode of the television and I'll explain a little bit why later. So there's two key questions that I want to kind of ask while we cover this episode. One, how well does radiation and nuclear topics uh, fit into this, you know, pretty silly show from the 1960s, a time when radiation and nuclear war dangers were scaring the hell out of the public? 
And two, where did the idea of radioactive seeds come from? Is it based on real life examples of farming techniques or just something the show uh, made up to fill the, the reruns? So let's get into it, Gabe. Uh, as usual, spoiler warning, if you have not seen this episode of Gilligan's Island yet, we will ruin it. But it's pretty short. Uh, if you go out and find it, what do we found it on Amazon Prime for like two dollars, three dollars? Yeah, well, it's weird because you could buy the episode for two dollars. You could buy the whole season for three. <laughs> and I was like, do I want to spend the extra dollar? But I decided not to. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be watching much Gilligan's Island. Yeah, I think I did that same thing um, as cord cutters. I don't know, maybe you don't have access to uh, uh, Nick at Night reruns anymore. Yeah, exactly. So here's how the episode starts. Uh, I'll get it going here and you can pick over. Gilligan and the Skipper, they seem like they're just going to have a nice, happy day fishing. To be fair, Gilligan's already there and he's already fishing. It's the Skipper who comes over and like basically starts fishing right on top of Gilligan. Does not do proper, not social distancing, but proper uh, fishing line distancing between him and Gilligan. Basic fishing etiquette here. Very poor. Yep. Uh, So the Skipper gets his lines crossed with Gilligan. There's a whole bunch of hijinks, uh, lots of uh, trombone music of the skipper accidentally skinning his foot stuck in a bucket of fish water. Either way, skipper runs away, uh, all upset, and Gilligan notices uh, something he reels in is a big, heavy box of uh, seeds. He opens it up, takes the lid off, and it's got all kinds of vegetables and seeds. These kind of look like the, 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 the aisle bin you would have if you went to your local gardening store. They had a little bit of everything, right? They had rutabagas, they had beets, Carrots, lettuce, pretty much everything you can possibly want uh, to start your home garden. But he doesn't pay attention to the fact that the lid notices, it says that it's radioactive. Oh boy, packages of seeds. Beets, carrots, spinach, vegetables. Skipper, Professor, look what I caught. Carrots and beets and spinach, vegetables. Well, the, what I didn't understand is the way the box, this whole thing with the box, I mean, first of all, the way the words were laid out, it says on, on two different lines, or it's four different lines, experimental, radio, active, seeds. <laughs> and it is just kind of written in a weird way, I guess, for readability. But this whole idea that he didn't see it, like, it's positioned right next to him, and he's, like, digging through the seed patches and not seeing it. So I would have thought somebody would have seen that at some point. It's very confusing because, as you mentioned, it looks like you could actually read that as two different words, like radio and active. It looks like it's saying danger, experimental radio, also some active seeds in here. Yeah, exactly. It likes these 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 seeds really like to do activity, but they listen to the radio too. (laughs) Experimental is one letter longer than radioactive, but it's not split up. 
doesn't make any sense. I think if anyone's going to be blamed for any of the hijinks that get involved, it's whoever made this sign, this warning sign. Uh, but either way, like we mentioned, the, the castaways are really excited to have all these vegetables uh, to be able to plant on the island. Gilligan, catching this box of seeds is the best thing you've done since we were marooned. Exactly, little buddy. If you were a girl, I'd kiss you. Lucky me, I'm a boy. <laughs> With these seeds, we'll have enough vegetables as long as we're forced to stay here. <laughs> oh, and don't forget, Marianne was raised on a farm, so she's going to be a big help. And because Marianne is a farmer, uh, she gets you know, right into it. She doesn't actually have to plant anything. Uh, she makes Gilligan and uh, do all the work, like they have all the heavy lifting. And apparently there's some weird subplot where she says that, oh yeah, in my farm I used sand to do something with the soil, which I'm pretty sure you can't plant in sand. I, yeah, I don't know. That was weird. But I think it was just to give her some lines in this episode. I mean, Gilligan is doing the work. There's kind of this weird scene where the skipper has him hooked up to like a yoke, like you to pull his um, plow, kind of like you'd have a horse. Right. And I, it was it was like weird. I I did not follow that one at all. I mean, if anything, it looks like the skipper should be the one with the crazy old man strength, and not Gilligan. The right. Kind of he looks like a yeah. He looks more like a beast of burden than like the kind of sickly Gilligan, right? Right. I will. That's to set up something later, right? Like Gilligan, it's so weak he does not even have the strength of an oxen. Essentially, is a kind of the, the starting baseline here. Uh, and two days later, for some reason, all of the vegetables have pretty much already grown. Uh, they've already been they they got planted and they're already grown. They've got a bunch of weird shapes, like there's a an ear of corn that's shaped into a ring. There's string beans that look like pretzels. Uh, the carrots look, have this kind of crazy, weird, like you know, Cthulhu's shape. And the professor, who's, you know, usually a smart guy, is trying to make sense of this, and he goes, oh, it must be because we were using salt water. Which, again, I'm pretty sure you can't plant things in salt water. I know. Well, it's like we, the whole time the audience knows what's going on, and they're trying to figure it out. It's it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit weird. But they, they all, they find out eventually, because they're all sitting down to dinner, eating all these, like, you know, amazing vegetables that they haven't eaten for so long. and Everybody picks out their favorite that they have to eat. Since we all seem to have our favorite vegetables, let's move them near us. Spinach next to me. Oh, the carrots, please. Oh, I just love beets. I want the beets. I don't want the Yeah, so I think Gilligan's eating spinach. The the rich lady, she's she's eating uh, beets, sugar beets. Who is it? Was it Marianne who's eating the carrots? Mm-hmm. So they're eating, and then they hear this radio report. Um, I didn't realize they had a radio, by the way, on the I guess from the ship. Um, yeah, they found it's, a way to it's like a, a hand cranked radio kind of thing. So they hear this broadcast. Interrupt this program for a news bulletin from the experimental agricultural laboratories in Hawaii. It seems that a box containing radioactive seeds is missing. Every I think he said something about seeds. The vegetable seeds were in a small wooden crate and individually packaged. These radioactive seeds are of an experimental nature and considered dangerous. The box is clearly labeled danger, experimental, radioactive. On the chance they did not fall overboard, anyone finding them or knowing anything about them, please contact the Agricultural Department in Hawaii. Let me repeat, the seeds are radioactive and considered extremely dangerous. Now back to our program of cheery daytime tunes. Sir, you don't suppose that... Well, he said that the crate was clearly labeled. Well, but when Gilligan showed us the crate, it didn't have a cover on it, did it? I took the cover off. Do you know where it is? I made it into this bench right here. Nothing there, Steve. (laughs) The crew and the passengers, uh, they start freaking out because they, you know, 
are unsure. Hey, are these seeds the same ones? Uh, Gilligan reveals that he made a chair of the box lid with the warning, and sure enough, everybody freaks out. Uh, the professor fortunately has a book on nuclear fallout and nuclear science and that kind of stuff. He reads through the book and he determines uh, that it's, people are in danger. Everybody needs to keep moving around to keep the, their bodies like to flush out the system, to flush yeah. the radioactivity out of their system. Or is there any truth to that? You got to move. That was strange to me. They're like, oh, you have to keep be active. It's it seemed to fulfill no plot device whatsoever, just to make them move around. Yeah, it didn't make a lot of sense. There is. We'll get into it a little bit when we talk about the nuke stuff near later later on, but there there is a little bit of truth to it. They're like making sure that the radioactive particles that are now in their body don't like pool or stay in one place. But moving around is not going to really help that because it's in the bloodstream, but it's also like in their digestive tract. It's in a lot of different places. They should be like eating a new food to try to clear out uh, everything. But we'll get into it a little bit later. Um, the strange thing, though, that starts to happen is that um, people start to do kind of crazy, unimaginable feats of strength, of ability, and the professor decides, uh, oh, the radiation of this in the seeds must have amplified the vitamins in the vegetables and boosted their nutritional supplements. The radioactive treatment of the seeds must have magnified the potency of the oxalic minerals. And this is where uh, I think about this episode of Gilligan's Island literally almost every week. Anytime I eat a carrot or vegetables or I hear the word vegetable, my brain tells me carrots equal super vision. Swiss chart carrots! Do you like carrots? Oh, like them. I love them. Well, Gilligan, they're awfully good for you. Where the more you eat, the better your eyesight. Everybody knows that carrots are good for your eyes. Why, certainly. After all, did you ever see a rabbit wearing glasses? (laughs) Mary Ann can see a ship, like, way off in the distance, way far away from the island. No one even sees the ship, and she can, like, see the people on the deck of the ship. At one point, she mentions, like, oh, yeah, there are women in bikinis on the deck of the ship, which, of course, get all the men on the island. Yeah, all riled up. For some reason in my brain, that, that stupid little thing of, carrots are good for your eyes. I know that because of Gilligan's Island, and if I, when I teach my kid that he should eat his vegetables, I'm going to show him this episode of television, so he will always remember to eat his vegetables. We are, we are, uh, this is like a, a 20 something year old confession that was waiting to come out it's been like 20 something years in the making this you're finally getting it out there tim i've only ever told that to my uh my therapist and my nutritionist so i didn't want to point out some fun thing here is that the 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 bikini the swimsuit outfit was literally named after bikini atoll by the designer of the bikini because he wanted a an explosive name to be attached to his product and bikini atoll was a place where they used to do above ground nuclear testing uh, in the south pacific we should have more uh we should have more swimwear named after disasters or yeah large large-scale weapons tests yeah 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 the 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 chernobyl uh swim trunks didn't really catch gilligan of course he as you mentioned he ate the spinach so of course what does he become he basically becomes like popeye he gets super strained he can lift in a giant log that's on the beach with one hand um he doesn't really look more swole uh he doesn't look like the rocker or anything uh he can but he can still like bench press the skipper when he's laying in a lounge chair with just one hand it's pretty impressive he like can crack a coconut in his hand um uh, mrs howell because she ate sugar beets uh, doesn't have a heart attack, but she like has a burst of like Benny Hill style energy and like starts running around her hut, uh, cleaning and all that kind of stuff. I wish there was more of this because there's only three examples. Yeah. Of there should have been more. I know. And I felt like, yeah, I felt like they didn't really take it to its kind of 
the the level of comic zaniness that it could have been because after it kind of gets introduced to these three characters um the the professor decides that it's time to shut this down that we're not going to be radioactive anymore these these vegetables are dangerous and you know we need to stop stop put a stop to this and and throw all the vegetables away and he comes up with this weird plan that can only serve the purpose of setting up a, like a ridiculous scene mm-hmm. uh, he says the only way to neutralize the radioactivity is for them to eat their handmade soap i guess the hydrocarbons would bond with the radioactive particles or something something I, I, yeah and so there's this like scene where they're all sitting around the table eating soap and everyone starts burping bubbles and they they're just very poorly done shots of like bubble machine behind somebody's <laughs> face to make it look like it's coming out of their mouth and they're all like sitting around and and bubbles everywhere it's just it it, it almost felt like this whole episode was just written to get to this one scene that they wanted to do that they had a bubble machine on hand and wanted to use it yeah the question for me is if the bubbles are attaching themselves to the nuclear whatever's radioactive in their body does that mean that the bubbles are radioactive and those are popping all over the island to people i don't, I don't know so the episode ends that evening with the skipper announcing that wow good gee golly it's really great that we're all cured uh from this problem and how much he's like ah but i, I, I had to eat that soap and it was disgusting gilligan says i didn't want to eat it at first but I actually kind of liked the taste of it and then you see him like snacking on another bar of soap um, and he hiccups basically this giant bubble that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I think the episode ends, if I remember right, you know, there's a big boom. The bubble explodes. The screen fades to white as a mushroom cloud forms over the island. Is that how it ended? I forgot. I, I, think, I think you're imagining that part, Tim. Uh, okay. No, I think I just, you see it bubbles just, like pop out of the, uh, the, the hut. Bubble. Yeah. Not every movie can end with a nuclear blast. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, so that's the episode. It's very simple. It's just an interesting idea that there are radioactive seeds. They pop up on an island. People eat them. It gives them magic powers based on their vitamin supplements. But it's dangerous, and they need to get it out of their system because, of course, if the seeds are radioactive and you eat the fruit or the vegetable that grows from that seed, clearly that's dangerous. This is... and this is like a classic, I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen this in film and story, right? This is like the classic superhero origin story. You know, the superhero that eats the, or gets the radio, the dose of radioactivity and all of a sudden gets like the super thing. So this is just a more, I guess, uh, chill, fun version of that, I guess. Yeah, I guess you have, to, you have to wonder whether or not you'd want to be bit by a radioactive spider or, you know, eat a radioactive spider, you know, or something yeah, along yeah. those lines. Or, radioactive corn or something. Right, right. Before we get into the nuke stuff here, I've always wondered, because they mentioned that there's artichokes, that there's um, mushrooms. Like, what would a radioactive mushroom give you? Like, super psychedelic powers? What, what, do, you, what do you think a, a radioactive uh, artichoke power would, would be? I don't know. Like, um, I, I guess you'd sound really Italian for a while, or so you'd have like an Italian accent. No, fair um, yeah, I, the mushroom. I don't know what the mushroom would give you. Yeah, probably you'd just be tripping out constantly. Yeah, yeah. talking to people about it, like, it's like, oh, Bill at work. Yeah, he's always asking me if he can if I can see the colors. It's kind of annoying. <laughs> well, there are there are definitely bananas on the island of Gilligan, and bananas are famously um, because of the of potassium in a banana. They actually undergo spontaneous fission to a very small degree, so bananas are more 
radioactive than background radiation. Really? Yep. So if if you eat a banana, you are consuming, you know, emitting radioactivity in your body. Of course, it's fine, but it's a small thing. If you wanted to, though, you could try to smuggle some radioactive source through a radiation detector and just cover it in bananas. And then they'll be like, oh, it's a false alarm because it, there are bananas. We have to, like, adjust for the fact that these are bananas. Um, radioactive detectors have gotten better to kind of notice that. And, of course, if you're shipping things, you know, bananas, and they'll be like, why are you shipping bananas? That kind of thing, if you're not normally shipping bananas. You've, um, you've, been, able, you've been able to give health advice and smuggling advice in, like, a one-minute period of the show. The, the show lawyers are going to have a, a field day <laughs> with this one, Tim. Well, I'm just saying it. I'm glad that the radioactive uh, seeds don't also make radioactive, super radioactive bananas, because that would be that would be crazy. Um, so let's get super critical about this and get into some of the new implications that come out of this particular episode. The first thing I wanted to talk about here is the obvious, you know, nuclear farming, particularly nuclear farming done on a massive scale. Like, where does this idea come from for, for radioactive seeds? I did a little bit of research on this because it's one of my favorite topics in the nuclear field. So nuclear science has had a really long history with trying to improve agriculture and farming uh, for over 50 years. This is just one example. The International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, and the Food and Agriculture Organization, the FAO. Both of these are agencies of the United Nations. For 50 years, they have been working to apply nuclear technologies to de deploying things like isotopes and radiation techniques to, quote, combat pests and disease, increase crop production, protect land and water resources, and ensure food safety and authenticity. In as well as increasing livestock production. So this is kind of basic stuff. It's using science to improve farming techniques. So one example that's very relevant to the TV show is, you know, since the 1930s, farmers and scientists have tried to use radiation to conduct seed manipulation. So the idea here is, is that when you're farming, the Honeycrisp apple, for example, is, a, is literally a creation of taking the best characteristics of different kinds of apples and crossbreeding them to produce a super apple, one that is... You know, large, it is crisp, it is always kind of this great flavor. Uh, those things don't naturally just kind of appear. It's because they were crossbred. Lots of vegetables and fruits are like this. So what they did since the 1930s, they would they would expose seeds and plants to small doses of radiation to essentially like cause genetic variations. And if one of those variations made an interesting thing, like maybe it was larger, maybe it was a different color that people liked. Maybe it was a shape that allowed the stalks of a plant to grow taller than it normally would be able to. Or maybe it didn't need as much water. Maybe it was more resistant to this particular type of disease. And if it was, then they would say, great, now we've created this new thing and we're going to start crossbreeding it with some other stuff. So you get these really fascinating examples you get things like uh in ghana they created this new type of coca bean which is a you know chocolate and this crop is more resistant to a particular disease in burkina faso they use nuclear science for a crossbreeding program for agricultural products that need less water and less space which is one of their ways they're adapting to climate change so this is one example of the kinds of things that people have done um i know i know gabe you do lots of farming do you do any uh, uh either genetic manipulation or kind of crossbreeding i know you, you're famously brutal when you plant tomatoes and basil uh trying to pick out only the ones that survive when you scatter your seeds everywhere yeah i have a uh i have a, a reality show type thing where i just put a whole bunch of seed down whichever plants grow the hot tallest those are the ones i keep um 
No, I, I'm not. I'm not at those uh, expert levels. But I guess I wanted to ask because I've always wondered about this. You know, this this whole idea that, like, like I said, you see it in movies and TV where the exposure to radiation creates some sort of strange mutation that, that gives powers. So, is this a real thing that by by exposing some sort of living matter to radiation, that this type of stuff does happen, or was it just the fact that there was some natural variation in the seeds that happened to be given a dose of radiation. Well, what radiation does to, you know, the human body or to, you know, more particularly what it does to cells is it does manipulate the genetics of that cell. It kind of breaks down the DNA. It can cause the DNA itself to either uh, change and then crumble because it can't sustain itself. It's not allowed to, re it's not able to reproduce itself. So the cells that are supposed to be reproducing will die or they'll produce some sort of variation. I mean, essentially what cancer is, is, uh, you know, uh, a cell's DNA producing incorrectly or not shutting off and producing way too much of it. Um, and those can be caused by radiation. Um, this is really a bit of science. A lot of it, we don't, we're not precise enough to be like, oh, if I zap just this part of a seed cell with this kind right. of radiation, it can make this large thing. It's mostly through trial and error. But if you have enough time and you have enough seeds, you can do this over a kind of wide variety of vast quantities. So maybe like most of the seeds you irradiate are just going to have some weird worthless property, but one out of every thousand or something will have something useful. Like you said, the you know disease resistance or uh, less water need. That's the idea. Um, this is something that people do. Like this is scientists will do on a massive scale. This is like large-scale farming. We'll get into people doing this in their home in a little bit here. Um, other examples of nuclear science, uh, improving agriculture and, and farming. <laughs> you can use radiation in uh, in food to be able to kill bacteria like E. coli, so you can improve food safety. Uh, you can use it to combat pests and disease. Uh, one great example is um, you can take uh, certain types of insects uh, and you can sterilize them with gamma radiation. And then therefore, when you can release these the males into a particular area and they'll try to mate with the females. But obviously, the, I think they, they say that the, the they can't create any offspring. So eventually the population is reduced. So that's one of the ways that they're trying to do this, I believe, now with mosquitoes as well is to try to reduce mosquito populations. So part of the ways they can do that is just sterilize them with uh, radiation. I have some other ideas for this uh, this treatment, this application. Oh boy. Oh boy. Farmers in Kenya uh, use nuclear science to maintain healthy soil and water systems. Uh, they can use it to uh, double vegetable yields by using like kind of 55% of the water that they would normally do. There's lots of different things you can do with, with radiation and, and, and science. And it's not like, you know, big scale uh, comic book style superheroes. It's just using science to be able to do very interesting things. Uh, but again, as I mentioned, this is essentially done in, on a commercial scale you know, large-scale farming and things. But what about something if you wanted to do it in your home? So back in the day, there was this program that the Eisenhower administration started called Atoms for Peace. We've talked about it on the podcast before. It was in the 1950s to the early 1960s. So Atoms for Peace was, an, was this idea. It was kind of a propaganda campaign for the U.S. to get a bunch of people on its side versus the, versus the Soviet Union. It was to say, look, nuclear technology is great. 
sure nuclear weapons are dangerous, but there's so many amazing things that nuclear technology can do. So come on to our side. We'll give you nuclear technology for free. We'll essentially give you all of the science you're going to need to build your own nuclear power plant, your own research reactors. We're going to give all of these things away. Part of like how great the West is, how great democracy is. We're going to provide this material for you. Do not go to the Soviet bloc and try to get the technology from them. It was part of a, a campaign, but it also had a bunch of promises. People would say things like nuclear energy was going to be so cheap. Why would you even meter it? It's going to be like cents on the dollar. It would be more expensive to put the meter in than it would be ever to collect. So it'd be essentially a free electric, uh, electric power generating system. You could, uh, the promise was you could have a cruise ship that could travel around the world with the fuel that would fit in the size of a thimble, basically be able to cure all disease using nuclear technologies. You would even be able to use small nuclear devices to use in construction projects so that you can build a dam or a bridge or instead of having to hear all those noises on the side of the, the road uh, when you're doing construction, um, you know, on your on the highway, it takes forever just put a little nuclear bomb that would go off and it would just clear out everything and you'd be much you know perfectly fine um that's a little bit of an exaggeration but that was clearly the idea behind what they called the plowshares program and to the point where they even did nuclear testing to be able to do these peaceful quote-unquote peaceful nuclear explosives so this was the promise of uh the atoms for peace project and part of this was as you as a regular citizen could apply to the u.s government for your own source of radioactive cobalt 60 and you can irradiate seeds in your home with your experimental gardens. This program, the one of the most prolific users of it was this guy named Clarence J. Spees. In his more, most of his day job, he was an oil surgeon and an inventor. He got his Cobalt 60 source and he founded a company in 1960 called Oak Ridge Atom Industries. He took a concrete block bunker that he built on his property in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, which is near Oak Ridge National Laboratory, um, which is what produced the uh, uranium for the Manhattan Project. He took this company he created and he irradiated seeds that he would market to the public as cj spee's atom blasted seeds and essentially what he would what you know what what his press clipping would say when he would advertise this in his pr effort so the technology would be able to make a 10 foot tall tomato plant that produced more than 200 tomatoes <laughs> that sounds a little bit did anyone actually have you been able to track down any pictures of this 10 foot tall tomato plant or any evidence whatsoever nothing that we could find um but the idea here is that he would sell all kinds of different seeds he would sell um, a lot of those were flowers so the list that i saw on the internet was poppies pinks petunias morning glories and marigolds these were be irradiated those seeds with gamma rays to in induce mutations uh, but they also included lettuce sweet corn radishes straight-necked squash peppers, midget watermelons, and green beans. Um, so all kinds of different things. They would irradiate the seeds with their cobalt 60 source and then package them. They had no idea what the mutations would be. They would simply, they would sell them. And then the idea was you would farm them. You would notice what kind of weird thing was happening. And if you notice anything that was starting to be a little bit off, you would try to replant those seeds and, if, and reproduce the, the technique. And then you would record any sort of thing, like maybe unusual growth, uh, height, uh, maybe the yield would be different the color would be different the root system would be different you would monitor those things you'd write it in your little journal and then you would report back to the seed company and get credit for your discovery basically it was like crowdsourcing atomic science to people with home gardens it got to the point where there were even atomic gardening societies that would 
spring up uh, for gardeners to share their seeds and discoveries. And it became like a social club that you would get involved with. It didn't last a long time, but I'll get into that, you know, why it declined a little bit later. But Gabe, would you have seen yourself uh, purchasing one of these seed packets and joining one of these clubs for your garden? Uh, Probably not. I mean, as much as I enjoy the experimental aspect of this, I probably don't want to be eating things that come from some dude who... (laughs) is playing around with uh, Cobalt 60 or whatever. I mean, some people were. Uh, kind of the fun little wrinkle of the story is even L. Ron Hubbard, you know, the guy who founded Scientology, um, he got into this movement. He declared himself a nuclear physicist, and because of his science, uh, he used his E-meter technology, right, which he uses to uh, as part of Scientology. And he used nuclear science to demonstrate that plants could feel pain and uh, that we were, you could use nuclear science to produce happy plants that would not feel pain and we could improve global food stocks so his idea was you could use genetic manipulation of the seeds to produce happier plants and all this kind of stuff but that's a little side story to this um this movement was pretty strong uh but it didn't last all that long in the 1960s a lot of people through adams for peace really started to become disillusioned with those promises because we're you know we're not a very patient people in the united states a lot of the things that we thought would be promised uh you know that you know the fact that energy would be too cheap to meter or um, all of these great advances in science and health and all this stuff. Some of it came to be, but not, you know, most of it. You know, you imagine when anyone who's grown things in their garden, I've done that as well. Uh, it's kind of difficult to grow anything, let alone trying to also be a scientist, you know, keeping track of records and uh, making sure that you notice exactly what could be different. I notice You only really notice these kinds of changes from genetic manipula- manipulation after a couple of seasons, like at least two or three seasons, because it takes time for these things to express themselves. People really got bored of this. And according to the an excellent website called Atomic Gardening, by 1962, there were no real advertisements of C.J. Spee's Atomic Blasted Seeds. And by 1963, that company basically uh, turned to irradiating golf balls that promised to improve your golf game. Uh, so I included a... A little ad here for that for you, Gabe. Uh, you, like to, hit, you got to hit, like to hit the driving range every once in a while. I, I guess there were no truth in advertising laws because just looking at this, I mean, the ad saying uh, your golf game will be wondrously improved with this amazing energized golf ball. I mean, just like the whole idea that because you bombard an inanimate piece of plastic with radiation that it's going to go farther. Like, what? what is that? I don't know, but I, I definitely would love to have one of these at some point. Um, specifically processed in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. I love that. Uh, for all the listeners out there, if anyone, we will pay top dollar if you can track one of these down for Tim. <laughs> you also make Tim Westmeyer the happiest person alive. I really would also like to try it, but I would never want to hit it with an actual club because I'd never get it back. Right, it was right. stuck in some uh, pond somewhere. So, nevertheless, despite the fact that this didn't really last all that long, but it was quite a, like a, a passionate project for a lot of people. According to a report from the FAO, which we mentioned earlier in 2007, there are at least 2,500 plant mutations that are registered with the United Nations and the IAEA, and three quarters of those were created by inducing gamma rays. So, it did produce some, you know, noticeable findings that are now kind of patented and registered the United Nations. In, but here's the key thing. For for this episode and for all of this stuff, this episode of Gilligan's Island. The big thing is that the seeds themselves are not radioactive. There is a difference between exposing something to radioactivity, to applying ionizing radiation to a thing to change its you know, genetic makeup, versus something that is emitting radioactivity itself. 
like a piece of fissile material or a piece of fallout that's become irradiated and is emitting sources uh, of radioactivity. Something that if you held in your hand, it would hurt you versus something that you would apply radiation to. Because, you know, the human body, we're hit with radioactive particles all the time. You know, it's called the sun that's producing radioactive rays. Uh, even the environment, concrete, when you eat a banana, when you sleep next to someone, uh, all of that stuff, people are emitting radioactivity and your body is being exposed to radioactivity. You know, radiation can cause changes in our genetics, but, and that can cause plants to change and animals to evolve. That's kind of how we ended up you know, evolving over the course of uh, human history and the history of the universe. Uh, but the seeds themselves were not radioactive. So this really kind of is a, a very interesting wrinkle for this, but it would not make for a very fun episode of Gilligan's Island for sure. Well, and this idea that the eating the vegetables is dangerous in some way or, you know, that, that also seems like bunk then. Because were there any cases of people getting sick from Dr. Who's a What's-It's seeds or whatever? <laughs> no, unless the genetic you know, change was that it produced a vegetable that itself would produce some kind of like poison or, or, or toxin that was dangerous. I mean, certainly there could be a world where that would happen, but not likely and not likely over just two or three cycles. That would be quite a amazing, you know, X-Men uh, comic book level mutation change that would not likely end up happening. And the other thing, too, if you think about it, you know, you have a seed and you plant a seed and it then produces a vegetable. Why is the vegetable itself also radioactive? The seed was radioactive, the little tiny thing. It's not like when the cells of the seed reproduce and become larger that every one of those cells is is radioactive. It's not like it doesn't the DNA of this of the seed is not that it internally becomes radioactive forever. That's not how radioactivity is. You know, that's not how it works. Radioactivity is the admission of energy of uh atoms that are kind of falling apart and collapsing into you know lighter elements and it produces you know because of e equals mc square the mass is changing therefore the energy is also being released at the same time that doesn't happen when you reproduce a cell that now that cell is also radioactive it's just not really how things you know work in the science world and the last thing from this episode that i think would be worth talking about a little bit uh but this is kind of where it gets a little bit outside of my area of expertise is this idea of using soap and hydrocarbons to change and clean out your body uh, right. if you're affected by radiation you know the 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 professor technique i have no idea what this is i've never heard of this before i don't know anything about hydrocarbons and connecting to to radioactive particles maybe that's a thing but i've never heard of it before um i do know that there are different ways to treat radiation sickness and here's a good uh, study of this uh that the mayo clinic uh says would happen if you were suffering from radiation sickness and this is either from being exposed to radiation or ingesting radioactive particles like into your body um you would do things like decontamination you would remove all of the external radioactive particles you know you would use soap and water so kind of where the soap would come in but it would be used to clean dirty radioactive particles that may be on your skin or your clothes you get rid of that that means that those particles are no longer emitting radiation that could hurt you you get rid of it if you have stuff on inside of you you do things like you try to treat yourself for damaged bone marrow you can use proteins um that can help to prom uh, promote the growth of white blood cells that can counter radiation sickness in your bone marrow um, if you have internal consumption uh or internal contamination so things like if, if um, we're exposed to iodine uh which is one of the um, uh, fallout particles uh, that you can be exposed to you hear a lot about um people taking iodine tablets during nuclear accidents 
Uh, this is something that came up recently in the TV show Chernobyl. Uh, you heard about it in Japan after the Fukushima nuclear accident. Iodine tablets, what they do is they overload your thyroid with good versions of um, potassium iodine. And if it's clogged and it's your thyroid, which is normally where iodine would collect itself, if you if it's clogged with good iodine, not one that's radioactive and emitting heavy amounts of radiation, the heavier radi- emitting radiation um, iodine will just kind of get flushed out of your system. It won't have a place to collect you don't have to like jump around and run around like the skipper and marianne had to do but it is something that would you could use in your body if you knew you were going to consume iodine or you had just started to you could take potassium tablets and once you're got it in your system potassium iodine tablets won't do much for you it's like a preventative technique um they have these things called uh, dtpa which is a substance that can bind to metals so if you have radioactive particles in your body that are things like either plutonium or curium or other kinds of radioactive metals uh, this can bind itself uh, to those particles and then kind of get flushed out of your system Uh, you can also use this stuff that's a kind of a dye it's called prussian blue that can attach itself to particles and you know things like cesium and thallium which are pretty nasty stuff uh, those can get excreted out of your body so like those are the ways you try to flush it out of your system none of those you've noticed are hard hydrocarbons that are in soap and plant-based fats which is what the professor uses that's what a doctor would treat you with it wouldn't make you eat a bar of soap unless you said something really naughty <laughs> and at that point you're to, you got other problems to deal with it's, uh, it's good that we're not encouraging anyone on this show to uh, disinfect themselves on the inside so that's that's good that would prevent you from having any sort of worries about uh radioactive seeds you just would never have any worries at all <laughs> yeah um, so that's the episode. I, I thought this was kind of a little bit of a fun, uh, fun one to talk about. Um, before we kind of sign off here, I wanted to do our parking lot movie discussion, which is where we kind of have a, a non-nuclear discussion. It reminds me of when uh, my friends and I would go see a movie uh, we, and afterwards we would go, you know, movie theater. Remember those things? We used to go to movie theaters and be with other people. Yeah, it was uh, yours like sat next to people in, in person. Yeah, a long time ago. Um uh, we would do this and we would sit in the parking lot afterwards, uh, six feet apart and talk uh, about the movie that we just saw before we went our separate ways. So I had a question for you. How well do you think this particular episode of Gilligan's Island uh, holds up? Um, do you think you could do a similar episode of this television show today? Or is the only shows that are allowed about islands either Lost or Survivor? Uh, this is a little too campy for today, mm-hmm. um, the the whole premise. And it's not, um, you know, there's no like big story. I guess there's kind of a story arc with them, you know, trying to get rescued. But it definitely shows its age a little bit. I think it's fun, but a little bit too campy for nowadays. Well, it would have been so much more fun if characters like instead of um being like oh i uh yeah this is dangerous but what if we just ate all of the different vegetables and figured out what kind of superpower we would get that'd be kind of fun or maybe one of the superpowers would really actually help them get off the island maybe there's some kind of vitamin that makes your voice louder and you can scream at the boat or i don't know something there i don't know there could have been there could have been a lot of different directions for this i mean if people were really concerned about being poisoned by radioactivity they wouldn't start like you know, doing all these goofy, wacky things. Well, it is very funny to me that in 1964, both this silly take on nuclear stuff came out as well as like the same time that, you know, um, Dr. Strangelove came out, which is about the Doomsday Machine, which was, I think the Doomsday Machine was, um, 
what was it? It was like cobalt thorium G, the kind of made up radioactive particle that you would you could salt the bomb with and make it more super radioactive. Hundred years of radioactivity and fallout, right? Nuclear winter, all that. It's just funny. In the same year, these kind of two disparate takes on radioactivity came out. Yeah, I don't know. It's a fascinating time. I wonder if the people who watched this in 1964 uh, enjoyed themselves by reading about this because you. You know, of course, in 1964 is not that long off. It's about 10 years off from when the Castle Bravo incident took place, where we would do this gigantic uh, uh, thermonuclear bomb test in the South Pacific. And we ended up having way too much radiation. Uh, we radiated a uh, Japanese fishing boat. Several of the, the, the crew members of that boat died. And then you have 10 years later, uh, a crew of people on a boat who eats you know, radioactive materials, things that people in Japan were concerned about, radioactive fish and atomic fish and, you know, yeah. getting the radiation ill sicknesses from uh, the, the fallout that would be landing on their island. There's a lot there that I did not pick up when I saw this when I was six or seven years old. And now when I watched it now, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of uh, dark stuff in this. If you kind of sat and thought about it in I mean, I may, th- I may still think about this episode every single week, but in a more kind of yeah. sad moment right before I go to sleep. Sure, sure. Well, Tim, here's a here's a question. Let's say, you know, we are uh, transformed into the world of Gilligan's Island. We're on a desert island together. We've done the three hour tour. If you knew you were going to be stuck, what, what were you going to what were three things that you'd take along with you? That's a good question. So basically it's things to, to stay sane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it would be different things that I'm trying to use to stay sane these days while in quarantine. Um, I think that I'd have to have basically, you know, of course, separate from, you know, family and, and my and my new baby and everything, right? I wouldn't want them on the island with me. I'd love to have them have their, their their happy life somewhere else on, on land. Well, they can't see all the, like, the native women in the bikinis, right? That's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. That's all. So I don't know. I think uh, for me, I'd bring uh, the A Song of Ice and Fire books, the kind of books that the Game of Thrones show is based off of. But because I like the little wrinkle hill that I'll throw into that is that for some reason, I'd magically get all of the books, including the last two that aren't finished writing yet. I'd be willing to go to a desert island for 15 years if I knew I could read those last two books before anyone else would, because it'd be more than 15 years before George R. R. Martin would finish those books. Um, I think I'd bring the box set of DVDs of uh, Deadwood, my one of my favorite television shows on HBO. And then I'd bring a Raspberry Pi with a Nintendo emulator on it. I figured that would keep me pretty busy on the island. What about you? Yeah, that's pretty good. I'd uh, I'd bring some, uh, maybe my computer with Microsoft Flight Simulator mm-hmm. so I could still uh, pretend like I was still flying. I think I'd, I'd also want a grain mill and maybe some wheat seeds, not mm-hmm. radioactive, so I could try to make some bread. Uh, I've been stress baking a lot. And then, uh, yeah, I'd probably bring a guitar. I've been doing that for last year. You know, play some music as we as we cry ourselves to sleep because we haven't been rescued yet. I think between the two of us, we'd have quite a fun island here. That would be a good island. Nice. Um, okay, so let's uh, wrap stuff up here. Let's do our rating system. Uh, we always like to have this consistent one to five scale of uh, one being the worst and five being the best. And we have that consistent so we can compare across all the things we cover. But let's tailor the rating system uh, based on the things that we just talked about. So I think uh, I've crunched the numbers here. Let's rate this episode of Gilligan's Island one out of five 
types of atomic vegetables in your salad. If you only have one type, you're really just stuck with whatever random superpower you end up getting. But if you have five types, you can kind of become like Thanos from Avengers after he collected all the Infinity Stones. And you can basically, you know, make sa- eating the salad worth it. Um, how many uh, would you give this? How many uh, types of atomic vegetables in your salad? I'd, I'd give it two. I mean, I think, look, even even putting the show in context, this was a pretty weak episode. Uh, the, the I just didn't. I didn't buy the story, how the seeds get there, nobody noticed it at first, and they just didn't have a lot of fun with the superpowers, right? The superpowers were only there for, I don't know, it was maybe like five minutes of the show, and then lame, boring professor shuts shuts down all the fun. So it was much more fishing and farming and things. I would have liked to see a lot more with that. Uh, I was kind of disappointed. Yeah, you know, looking back on it now and rewatching it as a, an older person, I, I would probably want to give it a two as well, except I'm going to give it a 0.5 because it was educational for me to learn what vitamin A did and what spinach would do for you and all of that good stuff. Um, it didn't make me want to eat more vegetables growing up, but I knew what they did. Uh, so I'm going gonna, gonna, gonna to put that little bit of uh, extra fo- right, 0.5 on there. The more you know. Yep, perfect. Um, okay, so uh, let's recommend some stuff to listeners for either further reading or watching. Some of it could be related to Gilligan's Island or maybe just something you want to recommend. I know I have three things, and I think you've got some stuff too. I want to recommend another episode of Gilligan's Island. Uh, this one is uh, from Season 2, Episode 10, called Hi-Fi Gilligan. It is when uh, the island's one working radio that we mentioned earlier, it breaks. But for some reason, after Gilligan gets hit on the head, uh, which happens a lot in the show, his voice now becomes comes a radio signal so we, he'd open up his mouth and a radio signal would pop out i always remember this as a kid that delighted me for some reason and this was very helpful in the show because there was a like incoming hurricane or typhoon or some sort of storm and they needed the constant like weather updates uh so hijinks ensue of course that, that's one episode i recommend uh, I rec- recommend the website that I mentioned earlier called Atomic Gardening. This is run by Paige Johnson, who is a nanoscientist and a garden historian. This is a, according to the site, it's devoted to preserving the history, memory, and learnings of mid-century atomic gardens. Really interesting. Tons of really cool entries on this stuff, including some original photos and some of the seed packages and advertising associated with C.J. Spee's Atomic Blast Seeds. So definitely go check that out. And finally, I recommend the TV show Lost. I really liked it. Uh, the original podcast host of uh, the show, Joel, he and I watched the whole thing together. Uh, there's one episode in particular called Jughead that involves a nuclear weapon test device that was left on this island, which would have made a terrific episode of Gilligan's Island, where the professor is trying to disarm the bomb. Mr. and Mrs. Howell are trying to pay the, the skipper to build them a really like luxury fallout shelter. Uh, Gilligan can get distracted by Ginger and Marianne and uh, accidentally drop the plutonium core. I think it'd be a particularly good episode of the show. Gabe, you got anything to recommend to people? Yeah, so I know a lot of your listeners are here in the Washington, D.C. area for people in there in the surrounding area. Um, Not really a lost desert island, but if you kind of want a similar experience, there's a place called Tangier Island. It's a small island in the Chesapeake Bay that uh, crab fishing and it really does feel kind of deserted um and uh it's kind of a funky place to go so i think you can take a ferry there or uh, if you have an airplane or know somebody who does you can fly there and then uh second thing go go make a garden i, I actually just last weekend uh planted a, a little stuff in the ground 
we went to uh, not that they not that they sponsor the show or anything, but I went to Home Depot, did a curbside pickup. It worked great uh, for soil. Ordered some seeds on Amazon, and um, yeah, we're I, none of them though uh, radioactive, Tim. Unfortunately, so I'm I'm failing in that regard. I mean, look that that you know of. Just wait till your stuff gets crazy. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about this is um, people who are in the D.C. area. Your favorite bar in D.C. Is kind of a look, a little bit of a Gilligan's Island tiki that is bar. True. What, what would you would you recommend this one to people? Yeah, Archipelago. Uh, I for for those uh, who don't know, I love tiki drinks, and it's it has the it has the whole vibe with the coconuts and the and the bamboo and everything. Archipelago on on U Street, and I think even during quarantine, they are um, they're delivering. Uh, there they have to go cocktails so you can check it out and then when we're all back to normal we can check out the vibe nice maybe we'll do a podcast uh show uh meet up there at some point when everything gets uh, calmed down here in the future uh all right well gabe thanks very much for um not breaking quarantine and coming over uh over zoom on the podcast it was fun talking to you about gilligan's island yeah thanks tim Thanks for listening to another episode of the Supercritical Podcast. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or you want to tell us what we got wrong, either nuke-wise or maybe we brought the wrong stuff to our desert island, uh, for probably forgot like survival gear and uh, ponchos and all of that stuff. There are a couple ways you can contact the show. Uh, Twitter at Nuclear Podcast. We're also on Facebook.com slash Supercritical Podcast. And I check a Gmail account, supercriticalpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this has been Tim Westmeyer and Gabe. And remember, if it's pop culture and radioactive, we are bound to get super critical about it. Have a good one. So this is the tale of our castaways. They're here for a long, long time. They have to make the best of things. It's an uphill climb. But first mate and his skipper too will do their very best to make the others comfortable in the tropic island nest. No phones. No single luxury like Robinson Crusoe it's primitive as can be so join us here each week my friends you're sure to get a smile from seven stranded castaways here on Gilligan's Island